We thank you for all that you have done to make this life that we have possible. And we thank you for all that we have done most especially that you make the next life possible. And so, Father, help us to focus more on that life than on this one. We give you praise and thanks and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. sitting in the middle today. That's great. Hi, Studers. Welcome. Good to see you again. How's everybody's NCAA brackets doing? A little busted, maybe? I can say that. I wasn't going to say anything if Anton was here, because he's in mourning. I saw a post on social media of his that said, I haven't felt this bad since Superman died. <laughs> He's a UVA alum, just so that you know. All right. Well, you know, and I am, I'm sure that I'm not the first pastor to say this from the pulpit, but we're living in very unusual days. Um, it's kind of a, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times sort of situation. You know, our economy is going really good. Stock market's at record levels. We have way more people at work, like three million more people at work now than we've had in decades. And the economy is really booming. But while we're experiencing all of this material prosperity, there's this simultaneous epidemic of moral poverty. It seems like every week there's another shooting or another scandal or some kind of racial conflict or some new form of addiction. And I don't think I'm going way out on a limb here to say that America needs a national healing. But I think in reality we need more than that. We need a healing in our schools. We need a healing in our businesses. We need healing and restoration in our government in our neighborhoods and in our communities. There's so many different areas where there needs to be healing and restoration. And so that's really the subject of the message this week because we've been talking about prayer. This is the fifth week. And we've talked about a variety of uh, you know, how to pray and types of prayer. Well, this week we're really going to talk about this, how to pray for healing and restoration. And specifically in that sense of, uh, I guess, a more a broader scope. Uh, because that's really what this scripture addresses. It was about 3,000 years ago that God made a promise to King Solomon. And that promise still stands today because it was a promise that he made to all his people. And if you've got uh, the app and you look up at the top of your message notes, and we're going to have it up here on the screen, this is taken from Second Chronicles, it's uh, chapter 7, verse 14. And it's one of the most important and well-known promises in the entire Bible. And it says this, 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now, we're going to look at this verse in some detail, but I want to point out a couple of things prior to that uh, that, it, that kind of will frame what we're going to talk about as it relates to the verse. And the first thing that I want to point out is that this is not a promise that God makes to everybody. It says, if my people. This is a promise to the people of God. And who are the people of God? Well, in a manner of speaking, one day uh, some folks asked Jesus that. And we see in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, what his response was. And it says, As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So the question is, as we look at this first promise, have you done what the Father said? The Father said to receive his Son. And if you've accepted Jesus into your life, and if you've become his follower or disciple, then guess what? You're in the family. So this verse is a promise to you. If my people means you. But it's not a promise for everybody. Just God's people. All right. The second thing I want you to notice this is this. This is not a promise to embarrassed disciples. Have you ever been embarrassed to identify yourself as a disciple? Embarrassed to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ. Everybody else is pretty bold about their belief today, but a lot of Christians don't really have a lot to say. So they don't know. Nobody knows. Years ago, there was a product that I think is still around in some form, but at the time, it was called Lady Clairol. Okay? It was a hair dye that was popular in the 1960s, and the tagline for their TV ads was this, only her hairdresser knows for sure. Do you remember that? If you remember that, you are incredibly old. <laughs> My point is that we should not have any Lady Clairol Christians. <laughs> where only God knows for sure. There should be no secret agent Christians. The Bible says, Luke 9.26, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So we are God's people, and we are called by his name, and we need to acknowledge that. And the third thing that I want you to notice is that this is a conditional promise. There were four conditions attached to this. 
humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. God says, I will do this, but here are the conditions. Here's your part of this deal. You do your part, then I'll do mine. And so if we are going to pray effectively for all of those things that I mentioned earlier, nation, government, schools, communities, neighborhoods, businesses, then we need to get focused on what are the conditions of this passage. So let's get into it. Let's look at each one of these areas. So four conditions for healing and restoration. And we should probably start with one. I honestly have no idea why this thing sometimes jumps ahead, but there's nothing I can do about it. It works on my computer when I put it together. Um, all right, condition one, I humble myself by admitting that I'm not in control. You admit that you're not in control. And what is that called? That's called humility. It's doing a reality check, and it's saying, God is God, and I'm not. It's the first condition for healing and restoration. And so what is God saying here exactly? Well, I think really what this is saying is that you don't approach God arrogantly. You don't come to God proudly or flippantly. You don't come to God disrespectfully. You know, it's, there's no, hey, holy dude, how's it going? <laughs> big man upstairs, big daddy. You don't come to God like that. And it means that you don't make demands in prayer where you're saying, God, you have to do this. God is not a genie. You don't come arguing and demanding and being arrogant. You come humbly. And by the way, did you know that in scriptures, never are you commanded to pray for humility? The Bible never says, God, please humble me. Why is that? Well, it's because humility is a choice. Humility is something you do to yourself. God doesn't do it to you. You do it to yourself, right? We choose to be humble. I honestly think the last prayer I would ever want to pray is, God, please humble me. <laughs> Um, so instead of praying for it, we just choose to do it. Now, I was kind of thinking about, well, what, is, what does true humility look like? And I came up with 12 examples that, uh, of actual, real humility that I think all of us could work into our days. All right? Uh, the first one is simply to confess your sin to God the moment you realize it. So you're sitting there and, you know, you say something wrong, you're angry, you may be prideful or jealous. And, and as soon as that realization hits you, it's, God, that was wrong, I'm sorry. That's humility. You see, when you keep short accounts with God and you don't wait until the end of the week and then say, well, you know, Lord, I've got this pile of garbage that I need you to, to, to kind of deal with today. No, confess the sin the moment you realize it. Second is somewhat connected to that. Humility is forgiving quickly. If you don't know how to forgive someone quickly, well, that's pretty prideful. You know, if you carry grudges, that's prideful. 
Humility is forgiving quickly. Humble people don't hold on to grudges. Number three, if you're treated unfairly, be quiet and patient and don't retaliate. You are the most like Christ when you refuse to defend yourself against a false accusation. When people attack you, if they say stuff that's untrue about you, and you don't say a word. In Mark, uh, we read in the 15th chapter, verses 3 through 5, Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. As I said earlier, you are most like Christ when you absorb the attacks and do not retaliate. Number four, when you look for ways to serve others instead of expecting to be served. Now I came across in my own reading this week, I'm reading through Exodus in the Old Testament right now, and I came across this verse in Exodus. And um, it was one of those that, you know, you probably, I probably glossed it over when I'd read it before, but it really struck me, I guess, because I was working on this message. And it's Exodus 23.5. If you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. All right. Loosely translated, does this not mean that we are literally to make an ass of ourselves? Because the only way I can see to help in this situation is that you have to stop and carry some of the load that the donkey was carrying. So there you are with a person who hates you and you take on the role of their donkey. Is that not a perfect picture of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God? And talk about a display of humility. Number five, when you accept criticism and correction graciously, that shows God your humility. Six, when you don't fight to get the best seat or the best table or the best parking space. Number seven, when you befriend people who have no status or who can't help you or who are overlooked by society, that's humility. Maybe they're the unpopular person at the office or at school, but you do that anyway. Number eight, when you're respectful to the authorities in your life, even the bad ones, that's humility. Number nine, when you pick up the trash wherever you find it or leave a public restroom cleaner than when you found it, it's those little things that nobody else will see but God. That's humility. Number ten, when you admit your weaknesses and your sins to a few safe people, that's humility. It's what Laney was talking about this morning. When you can admit that you're struggling you know, to a few friends or to a small group, Number 11, when you always speak well of others, never use put-downs, and never stoop to the level of people who put you down. That's humility. And number 12, when you pray for your enemies, those people you really don't like, 
the people who don't vote the same way you do, the people who you walk the other way when you see them, when you pray for them, that's humility. And see, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You practice humility when you are so busy focusing on God and other people that you just don't really think about yourself that much. And you do it because God loves humble people. Condition number two. <laughs> really? Condition number two, I ask God for help by praying. Now, throughout the New Testament, God is telling us to ask him for what we want. And in John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus gives us a little bit of advice on how to do that. He says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, I will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Now that verse gives us two very clear tips on how to pray. And the first one is, remember that it's Jesus who tells you to ask. That ought to give us confidence. Whenever you think, oh, I don't know if I should pray for this. We have to remember, Jesus says, ask for anything. Ask anything in my name. We remember that it's Jesus that tells us to ask. It was his idea. Now, here's something that's sort of curious. Have you ever thought about this whole concept of prayer? We've been talking about it for over a month now. And at some point, maybe some of you have thought, well, why does God, God ask us to ask for things? Why does he want us to do that? Well, I think the reason that God wants you to ask for things in prayer is because it's the only way you're going to learn to trust him. It's kind of like a parent and a child. How does a child learn how to trust a parent? Well, the child usually has a need. The child expresses that need initially through crying. The parent hears the need. The parent meets the need. And the child trusts the parent. And that's done thousands and thousands of times growing up. I have a need. I express the need. My parents hear the need. The parent needs the, meets the need. Trust occurs. Rinse and repeat. And the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. If you're not asking God for anything, you're not learning how to trust Him. So in this verse... He says first that Jesus wants me to ask. And the second thing is you're supposed to ask in Jesus' name. In other words, we're asking on the basis of what Jesus paid for on the cross. It's kind of like if you walk into you know, a restaurant that's just opened and it's the hot new restaurant in town, right? And um, it's one of those where you call and there's just... You know, there's a list a mile long for reservations, and you can't get in for a month. But you do happen to know the owner. And so you go right up to the restaurant, uh, and, you know, you've already talked to the owner, and he says, well, just tell him my name when you come by. Say, I come in the name of Bob. <laughs> oh, you know Bob. Well, come right in. 
And it's kind of the same thing with, with prayer. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you get this instant access. So we have to realize that Jesus, first of all, wants us to ask, and secondly, that he says to use his name. And then we come to this third condition. This has just gotten to be funny now. Condition number three is that I seek God. I don't seek a miracle. Now, hear what I'm saying, please. It's okay to want a miracle. It's okay to pray for a miracle. But we don't seek the miracle. We seek the giver of the miracle. You seek God's face. You don't seek a miracle or a sign or prosperity or a thousand other gifts that God could give you. You stop seeking the gift and you just go, God, I want you. I want to know you. Because, see, the thing is, when you seek God, you get everything else. But God's not a vending machine. And there's, unfortunately, a whole lot of Christians out there today who spend all of their time seeking what God has to give them and not seeking God himself. And so we seek his face. And what does that mean exactly? Well, I, I think it means that whether you get the answer you want or not, you still want to know him better. Whether you get the restoration you want or not, whether you get the answer you want or not, whether the marriage that you're praying about is restored or not, you're still seeking him. And as you come to him, if you don't get the answer that you were praying for, but instead you get what he thinks is best for you, you're going to be satisfied with it. And so out of this whole ordeal, whether it's pain in the divorce or pain in the loss of a child or a miscarriage or being laid off or whatever it is that you're seeking him for, it's not the blessing, it's not the gift, it's not the miracle. You're seeking him. And really, that's an awful lot like humility. In the sense that God loves the humble but I think God goes overboard for people that are truly seeking him. And then finally, the last condition is that we must turn from our wicked ways. Yes. <laughs> now the word turn in Hebrew literally means return. It kind of means to, to bring back. And it's the word that most, we would most commonly associate with the word repent. Okay? It's very equivalent to the New Testament Greek word metanoia. Okay? Meta means to turn, and noia means mind. So metanoia means to change your mode of thought, change your mode of feeling. It means to repent, to turn from. Repentance really at its core means to change your mind. You could say, I used to do that, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this. That's repentance. I changed my mind about my life. I changed my mind about what constitutes success. 
I changed my mind about what really matters in life. I changed my mind about how I'm going to view my past. I changed my mind about how I'm going to view the future. I changed my mind about what love really is. All that is categorized as repentance. I'm turning away from the way the world sees things, and I'm turning to the way God sees things. Now, I think there's a lot of people that think of repentance more as a negative word, right? And I know for some people, if they you mention the word repentance, and the first thought they have is some guy on the sidewalk with a street sign, and he's got scraggly hair and a beard, and his sign says, turn or burn, you're going to die and fry, and we're going to the sky. That's not repentance. That's a scare tactic. See, repentance is really the most positive term in history. When you repent, you turn from guilt to forgiveness. And that's a really good deal. When you repent, you turn from darkness to light. You turn from no purpose to purpose. You turn from hopeless despair to hope for eternity. You turn from bitterness to love. It's the most positive change you can make in your life. So when God says, turn from your wicked ways, he says, I want you to turn away from what the world says and what the world thinks to what I say and what I think. Now, we'll go ahead and land this plane. This isn't rocket science. It's really pretty easy to understand this. God just kind of laid it all out there for us. The real issue here is, are we going to get it or not? Are we willing to take those steps right now in your mind and in your heart? Will you say, you know, Father, I'm going to come and I'm going to admit to you that I'm not in control. I've acted like it, but I'm not. I've tried calling the shots. And honestly, it's not working out so well. And the harder that I try to control things, the more out of control everything seems to get. So today, Father, I humble myself. I'm asking you to guide me and to bless me to give me the power to change and to relieve my stress and all the things that go with it if I will just choose to walk humbly before you. You know, that list of humble actions really doesn't look very easy to do. So Father, I'm asking you to help me be quiet in the face of criticism, to pray for my enemies to immediately confess my sin to you and, and all of those other things. And Father, you said, if my people will pray, thank you that I don't ever have to worry or wonder whether this is a good prayer or not. You just said, ask for anything, and then you'll sort it all out. And so I thank you that you just want to talk to me. Teach me to pray all the time.
all kinds of prayer, asking all that I need to always be ready, to always pray for all of God's people, to be tenacious in prayer. And Father, I want to seek you. Forgive me for the times that I have not sought your face when all I have sought is your blessing. When all I have sought is what you can do for me. You said that those who seek you will find you. And I want to find you. I want to be closer to you than I ever have before. And finally, help me turn my attention away from the world and toward you and your word. And as I do these things, I ask you to hear my prayer from heaven. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to heal me and my nation and my town and my neighborhood and my government and my schools and my businesses. And I humbly ask this in Jesus' name. I have a sense that this has gone out. Is that true? Okay. Maybe the battery. I don't know. I'll just speak up. <laughs> so, if you, if, well, there we go. Um, if we could cut the lights off, please. I could have some folks that are uh, have been released to pray to come up. So I want to encourage you today um, to seek prayer. There's you know there's no time like the present to do all of these things. Um, I just think I always love surprising people when you see someone and you maybe you're in a grocery store or whatever they're obviously you know hurting maybe because they've got you know a cast or they're limping or whatever and you ask if you can pray for them and they say well sure and then you start praying they they look at you like now <laughs> in the grocery store yes and so if you're hurting today if there's a need today i mean we're in the perfect place we do it in the grocery store, but we just happen to be at church today, so lucky you. But get that prayer. Get prayer for it. And I would also offer this, and I, I've really been trying to be a lot more intentional about doing this uh, in this season. My calling is not as an evangelist. And it's interesting that there are a lot of pastors also share that, where that's really not their thing. And I, it's funny because I believe it to be because a lot of pastors are introverts and they actually don't like talking to people. Now I've kind of, I'm, I've managed to get into the middle between the two poles, the introvert and the extrovert, but it's still not my comfort zone. But I really, in this season, I just, been really convicted that I don't want anybody that steps into this building to leave here without the chance to, to find and know Jesus. And so if that's something that 
you really feel that tug that God is, is sort of working on you and you feel like it's time. That this is the day that I really want to take that step. That I want to actually accept Jesus' offer of salvation and start to become a follower of his. Then, you know, as Laney plays and as we have time uh, for prayer, just come up and um, take my hand, tap me on the shoulder, and say, Jeff, I'd like that. Can, can you pray with me? And I would be happy to. So let's pray. Father in heaven.